Kia ora, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey, and this is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter to paid subscribers. Today, I wanted to talk about the Prime Minister's comments earlier this morning at the NATO summit in Madrid. This was an unusual opportunity, high profile, for our country to present itself to the world in front of the most closely watched group of large country leaders we've seen in a long time. Obviously, with Russia having invaded Ukraine and concerns growing globally about China's assertiveness, there is a lot of focus on this big summit in NATO. And there was plenty of news to come out of it. Firstly, the United States, with Joe Biden there, announced that it would be beefing up its military forces in Europe, in particular increasing the number of troops it has on the ground, as well as adding weapons, ships, planes to the NATO alliance in various forms. The latest expansion of that is the United States has said that Turkey can have a bunch of upgraded F-16s. This is something they've been resisting for quite some time. This is after the United States told Turkey that it couldn't have the most up-to-date and expensive fighter in the world called the F-35. That's because of Turkey's own issues with human rights abuses, problems with its uh, um, democratic institutions or lack of them, and uh, also concerns about uh, um, its recent purchase of (laughs) Russian-made anti-aircraft missiles. However, remember the background here is that Turkey objected to the introduction of Sweden and Finland into the NATO alliance. Sweden and Finland on the borders with Russia uh, uh, in a big, big move over the last few weeks have applied formally to join NATO. Remember, Article 5 of the NATO agreement means that if one country is attacked, it is as if... They're all attacked and they are all obliged to militarily defend that country. Now, up until yesterday, uh, Turkey had been objecting to Sweden and Finland joining NATO because it says they have uh, uh, been much friendlier to the Kurdish rebels that are fighting the Turkish government in Turkey. Well, yesterday... Turkey, perhaps surprisingly, uh, dropped those objections and it's all full steam ahead for Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Magically, perhaps, at the same time, the United States has said that Turkey can have a whole bunch of these upgraded F-16s. So that's uh, big news. Effectively, NATO looking to strengthen itself against Russia and to beef up its forces on Russia's borders. Secondly, NATO came out with its updated strategic intent. We're all a bit wary of strategic intent statements, and fair enough for a company or um, even a political party. But NATO's much more practical and direct than that. And in its strategic intent statement, a big one that came out overnight, It said some very strong things about China, essentially saying that China was now a strategic threat for NATO. 
in particular its use of cyber weapons, human rights abuses and the likes, effectively strengthening the Western alliance very clearly against China and putting China in the same basket as Russia. Now, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, we knew, was due to speak to the NATO summit, and she did that this morning in a relatively short speech, which I've linked to in the detail of the email newsletter. And she said some quite strong things about China. In particular, she warned NATO that in our region, the Pacific, New Zealand was seeing a more assertive China. And she said that we all should continue to talk often and loudly, about human rights abuses in China. Now, this will be seen by China as um, a pretty clear rebuke on a very big world stage from Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I think it's worth everyone sitting up and taking notice about not just this, but over the last couple of months, New Zealand has clearly edged, nudged, crawled, shuffled that much closer to the Western alliance, led by the United States, but also including increasingly the European Union and the US's NATO partners, very clearly saying to, obviously, Russia after its invasion of Ukraine, but also China now, that the Western nations stand for democratic values and the international rule of law, and that Russia's um, obvious complete breach of those laws and apparent war crimes in Ukraine cannot be stood for, and that China, as a supporter of Russia, is now in the same camp, and the talk is moving closer and closer to that of a Cold War. Now, Cold War is a strong thing to say, and no one's suggesting yet that America is in a Cold War with China. Um, there's an immense amount of trade going on between the two, and a lot of engagement in all sorts of ways. But New Zealand has a particular problem. We, of course, share of cultural, democratic values, connections with that Western alliance, which includes the United States, Australia, the UK, to an extent the European Union, Japan, South Korea, in uh, a general grouping of countries who are not in favour of China's um, increasingly militaristic and definitely uh, uh, dictatory um, Marxist-Leninist government. And that's fine, but of course New Zealand's trading reliance with China is now even greater than it was pre-COVID. Remember, our international tourism and international education sectors collapsed uh, after COVID and are still pretty much on their backs, although things are improving a bit with our largest tourism market, Australia, coming back for, for the winter. But international students are still not back in any great numbers. And so that meant that New Zealand has had to rely a lot more on commodity exports and the major source of growth, uh, which has offset the uh, loss of tourism and international education, has been commodity exports to China, largely. 
obviously dairy, but increasingly meat, particularly uh, sheep and beef meat. Uh, lots of logs, always lots of logs, uh, fish, wine, kiwi fruit, a lot. And it means now that China is by a long way our largest trading partner and our largest buyer of exports. And of course, we're sort of doubly affected because our second largest trading partner and second largest buyer of exports is Australia, which is, which is itself even more dependent on China as the largest buyer of its exports. Now, we've seen over the last couple of years as Australia has uh, needled and elbowed uh, China regularly on issues such as the uh, abuse and persecution of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, China's uh, building of uh, islands in the South China Sea, its breach of uh, maritime laws, its persecution of uh, democracy activists in Hong Kong, and its increasing uh, expansion of activities in the Pacific. And China has hit back in various ways, including uh, increasing tariffs and restricting imports of Australian coal, barley, wheat, sugar, and wine, but not iron ore, because Australia is really the only place China can get significant and reliable sources of iron ore, which it needs for its concrete and steel industries, which are a key part of China's infrastructure growth and building plans, which of course they use every time there's a downturn in the economy, they pull the infrastructure lever, and that's why they can't really turn off the Australian iron ore. The dairy uh, is something that um, we can uh, send to China and is useful, but uh, you'd have to wonder whether our exposure to China is slightly larger in part because dairy is not something you can use to build a motorway with. And uh, that's something we have not really thought about. I've been reporting on this and looking at this, obviously, for the last two or three months. But I think it's time now to say that NZ Inc., our export business uh, and diplomatic communities, uh, need to start talking in public about the need to diversify as fast and as much as possible away from China. We have been here before. In the 1960s, New Zealand was incredibly reliant on exporting meat and dairy to the United Kingdom in the wake of the Second World War. And then the UK in the early 60s said they were going to join the European Union by 1973. And we had 10 years to basically get our act together diversify as much as possible, keep the Europeans and the UK as sweet as possible, and try to adjust our economy. We did eventually, although the 70s and 80s were not much fun economically for anyone, and the dramas and uh, deregulations and wild swings in policy uh, are in part a result of Robert Muldoon's efforts to deal with this loss of a major export buyer for our major export commodities. We certainly haven't had this discussion. Uh, in the 60s, the uh, diplomatic and business communities worked very closely and 
uh, uh, openly to talk about diversification, industrialization, and effectively, how do we strategically deal with this massive shift? It was easier then because this was something that the Brits had done to us. And obviously, um, us talking about diversifying wasn't going to surprise or worry the Brits. If anything, it was going to embarrass them. That's not the case here. If we are to openly come out and say China is an unreliable partner that may throw us under the bus at a moment's notice and therefore we need to diversify, that is going to um, further aggravate the Chinese. So I can see why if there is a lot of this diversification planning and strategy work going on, that it's going on behind closed doors. But that means that the public are not seeing it and it's not part of the public consciousness. And there's an awful lot of work in thinking and ideas and um, effort that needs to go into what this new strategy would be or where we diversify or how we diversify. And decisions in all sorts of public policy spheres need to be taken. So um, it's about time, given now that we are not just edging but striding closer to the Western Security Alliance, that we look to diversify our trade reliance away from China. Now, there are some who think that this is the wrong decision to cozy up to um, the US-led alliance, that we should be much more cautious and independent with our foreign policy stance. And I can see why that's the case, and certainly the Prime Minister and others talk regularly about our independent foreign policy stances. And um, got to remember, it's only a couple of years ago, Donald Trump was the leader of the free world and could be again in a couple of years' time. So you can see why putting all our eggs in the US-led basket makes a lot of people nervous. And you've got to say that America's track record on democratic values and uh, um, being a wholly positive influence in the world is... uh, not exactly as clear as it used to be, and that, uh, you know, it's not fantastic that neither the United States or the EU have free trade agreements with the uh, with New Zealand. And the constant uh, and difficult process that we go through to try to get access into those markets is a real concern. And if we are going to give something up, if you like, by getting closer in a strategic and security sense to the United States and the European Union, they better start bloody giving us some access to their markets. And this is topical at the moment because Jacinda Ardern is in Europe and uh, had hoped, and many others had hoped, that we'd be able to sign a free trade agreement with the European Union. It's been worked on for years. However, um, earlier this year, and reinforced in recent negotiations, the European Union has effectively played very hardball. It's not giving us hardly any extra access to meat and dairy, getting a little bit on honey and kiwi fruit. And also, uh, they've bullied us into giving up use of the generic cheese names of camembert and parmesan and gruyere and those sorts of things, which is actually going to cause our dairy industry, all sorts of uh, branding and marketing grief. Uh, And uh, it is an interesting problem that we have. We know that 
it's the right thing to um, step into line with our Western democratic allies in pushing back against China. And it, I think it's the right thing to keep pushing back against China. But we should be, I think, a lot more uh, uh, vocal about calling for the United States and the European Union to put their money where their mouth is on talking about stronger alliances and uh, increasing trade by actually allowing a lot more access to New Zealand commodities into the US and the European market. After all, the effective use of tariffs and quotas in effect increases the price of food for European and US consumers. And if you want to solve some of your uh, cost of living political pain, one way to do that is to reduce some of these controls on imports of commodities. Uh, that's not going to please the dairy and meat industries on either side of the Atlantic. But um, if you're a politician that wants to get elected again, and you want to avoid the catastrophe of someone like Donald Trump being the president again, then maybe giving little old New Zealand a few more tons of uh, quota and reducing tariffs on um, our lovely meat and dairy is the way to go. I'm Bernie Tiki. That was today's Dawn Chorus. It is June the 30th. That was uh, the kaka here on Substack. I'm Bernard Hickey.